Hello and welcome to this episode of Careful Thinking, a new podcast exploring ideas about care. My name is Martin Robb and I'm the host of the podcast. Careful Thinking is inspired by a passionate belief that thinking critically about care can both deepen our understanding and improve the day-to-day practice of care. In each episode of the podcast, you'll hear either a reflection on a key issue connected with care or an in-depth conversation with a researcher, writer or practitioner at the cutting edge of current thinking about care. For this episode, I'm really pleased to be joined by Mary Larkin and Monique Deepak Gobanath. I'm particularly pleased to welcome Mary and Monique as they're both colleagues of mine in the School of Health, Wellbeing and Social Care at the Open University. Mary is Professor of Care, Carers and Caring at the OU, where her research has focused principally on carers and caring, whether paid or unpaid, and adult social care. Mary is a member of a number of national and international bodies focusing on care. She was the co-founder of the International Journal of Care and Caring. She co-produced the Social Care for Excellence Carers Hub and also set up Karen, the Carer-Related Knowledge Exchange Network. Mary is the author, most recently, of Family Carers and Caring, published last month by Emerald. Monique is a lecturer in ageing, also at the OU, and describes herself as a critical gerontologist with research interests in the intersections of ageing, place and well-being, and in the intimate and family ties of older adults. She co-leads CABS, the Centre for Ageing and Biographical Studies at the Open University, and is a co-editor of the journal Families, Relationships and Societies. Mary and Monique have been working together most recently on a project focusing on relational care, and I was keen to talk to them to find out more about the project and to explore what relational care is and why it matters. So, Mary and Monique, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Before we come on to your work on relational care, I wonder if you could each tell me a little bit about your own backgrounds, both personal and professional, including the kinds of things you've worked on before and how all that led up to and influenced your interest in relational care. Perhaps Mary first. Okay. Um, well, thank you, Martin. Um, I've had a very long-standing research interest in, interest in care and caring, and it really goes back to the 1980s when um, I was at home with a young, my first child, and I did some voluntary work, which involved organising a rotor for people um, in the community who perhaps couldn't get out or needed extra extra help. And what I realised at the time, although it wasn't part of public discourse, that we were actually, as much as we were helping those who needed the help, we were helping the carers out. Um, and I remember seeing how absolutely worn out um, the the many of the carers were with the actual caring tasks, for example, I visited an old lady myself who'd been relocated um, from Birmingham where she lived down, down south to be near her her son and his wife and his wife would come every evening to cook her meal 
and bring her laundry after a full day's work and they've got four children themselves. And there was another carer um, who had her mother with dementia and lived with her and just one afternoon just burst into tears. So the whole area, that intersection between the needs of the cared for and people caring for them fascinated me right from the 1980s. Um, and then I got into academia um, and uh, pursued a, a PhD within the caring field. And since then, my career, well, my career trajectory has focused on translating and exchanging and extending knowledge, research and expertise internationally and nationally, institutionally um, and within my faculty to offer evidence-based solutions to the pressing societal and global challenge of improving outcomes for and supporting the ever-increasing number of unpaid family carers. And this has included open university staff and students. Um, and also I've been working with carers and carers organisations as partners. The research projects that I've led over the years have advanced international knowledge on critical under-researched carer support issues and particular groups, for example, older carers, dementia carers, student carers, um, carers of older people with learning disabilities and behaviours that challenge. And I've also contributed to the development of new conceptualizations of care, hence my interest in relational care um, and different areas of knowledge. And at both universities I've worked at, um, I've set up care research groups where I've configured new areas in each university's research portfolio. Um, and at the Open University, uh, the care research group has recently started to work much more closely with CABS, which is what the group that Monique chairs, um, and working on areas that over, overlap, such as con conceptualizations of care. So th this, uh, us both working together on this project was the perfect match of expertise and knowledge. Thanks, Mary. How about you, Monique? So my, my interest uh, primarily stems from being uh, interested in research that explores how place, and I talk about place very broadly, uh, to mean the physical, the social space, the physical environment, and the symbolic dimensions of it, as well as when we talk about homes, neighborhoods, care settings, any kind of housing. So in so my interest is in how place shapes experiences of growing older, of aging, and well-being of old people, and equally how people can, can or have opportunities to shape the places they live in. So that's my central interest. And in thinking about place and well-being, I am particularly influenced by relational ideas of place and well-being, and Doreen Massey is one of my favorite human geographers that I often turn to, including health geographers who have written a lot about uh, relational notions of place. Uh, through my work, looking at different environments of aging, for instance, mainstream housing, care homes, supported housing, I have begun to explore the making and unmaking of home whether people are living in the domestic environments they've always lived in or whether they are now moving in later life because there are health and care needs or the housing is more unsuitable. And also how places can become enabling and disabling over time, uh, thereby affecting well-being. So during my PhD work, I came across 
a few older couples living in care homes. Uh, and it was new for me because the literature didn't sort of pick up on these things. My perception was I would find mostly women living on their own. And this piqued my curiosity and led to a successful funding, exploring how couple relationships are experienced and sustained in later life, especially when only one partner moves into a care home and the other lives in the community. And following on from then, now I'm working with different groups of people, uh, more recently with people from uh, minority communities, looking at their housing circumstances. But I think this whole idea of place and well-being is quite central to my work. Thanks, Monique. And thank you both. That was really interesting background to to the project you've been doing on relational care and sort of helped to understand how you came to be doing that work. So moving on to relational care, I wonder if one of you would like to offer a, a brief definition of what relational care is. I mean, how does it differ from other ways of thinking about care? How does it move on from person-centered care? For example, I don't know which of you would like to take that first. Maybe Mary? Yeah, I'm happy to to kick off. Um, and um, I'm sure Monique um, will add to it. I don't know how brief we can be, but we'll, we'll try. <laughs> yes. Um, well, you mentioned person-centered care, Martin. Um, relational care is essentially an approach which builds on it's, and it's almost a natural progression from per person-centred care. I mean, it, it takes it to a new level in that it shifts the emphasis from the individual alone to the person as part of a network of supported and, supportive and mutual relationships. And relational care has been shown to be more effective in improving the well-being of those living and working in care settings and enabling them to enjoy a much fuller life. I mean, in essence, it represents a move from a one-way flow of care towards mutuality in caring relationships, whereby people aren't solely givers or receivers. And it prioritises the creation of an environment that people can feel truly at home in and where they can contribute as much as they can and wish to the lives of their peers and communities. And these networks in turn improve well-being and increase autonomy providing more purpose and meaning in life for everyone. And as, as you can see, relationships are critical to relational care. And I know Monique has um, uh, um, something to say uh, uh, to elaborate on that point in particular. Yeah, I just, I just wanted to add that uh, when you talk about this progression from person-centered care, uh, it is well known, and I think we all agree that relationships are very crucial to delivering good person-centered care because nothing happens without first knowing the person, you know, and knowing about their life. But what, what happens is when you shift or even the use of language itself, you know, when you talk, say, relational care, relationship-centered care, you are explicitly uh, foregrounding relationships here. And then that is a very different starting point in care, because then the questions you're asking is, which relationships, whose relationships, and for what purpose? So it sort of broadens that base of care from one person to number of people who are linked in some way into this care relationship. And it makes you just think a bit more about, yes, the older person, the staff member who's there, 
than the staff member's care manager. It makes you think about the family. And then you think about, you know, who, which relationships are significant for whom to give, to encourage care as well as to give care. And I think that's, that's one of the big things, the big shifts when we talk about relational care. The other thing, which is more political in that sense, is that it allows us to think about the well-being and welfare of people who do care work and sort of pull it out from that devaluation invisibility. So I think those are the two things that I wanted to add here. Thanks both very much. I, I know it's a difficult task to try to sum up something as complex and as relational care in just a few minutes, but thank you both for trying. And we will make we will link to your project report and other papers in the show notes for this so people can follow up and, and read more extensive um, explanations of relational care. So shall we now move on to the project that you've completed uh, on the practice of relational care? And maybe, Monique, I could ask you if we could start with some practical questions, like when and where did the project take place? Who was involved and, and who were you working with? So the project has been funded by the Hallmark Foundation. It's a charitable organisation. And uh, we worked with, of course, Ferry and myself co-led the project, but we worked with an external consultant, Jenny Cuthbellis, who has done some initial work on relational care, working in a variety of settings. Um, so this was a project born out of her coming uh, into coming to us and saying, you know, this is an area which needs more empirical work. Um, and were we interested? And with our with our backgrounds, we were interested. So that was the start of it, and we applied for funding. Uh, and the work it was it was a short study. It was a very short study, so nine months. So we wrapped it up in nine months. And uh, we, what we found when we reviewed the literature was that while relational care is, you understand it intuitively, uh, our questions were, so what does it look like in practice and what does it feel like in practice? There was lesser on those kind of things. So that, that was, those were the main uh, sort of questions we were working with is, yes, we know relational care or we have an idea that relational care has the ability to enhance the well-being, autonomy and self-worth of older people, but also it can address the issues of well-being for the social care workforce. But then if it has to be implemented in practice, what does that practice look like? That is where we started. Uh, we had two research associates supporting us, both at the OU, and uh, we took an appreciative inquiry angle to a methodology. Uh, as far as the care sector is concerned, it is easy to look at what is going wrong all the time. But we wanted to find out about things which were going well and which were, uh, and which we can take forward and then ask other people to say, do these work in, with, in your setting and why if not? So we worked with uh, five, we carried out one day observational visits to five care settings for older people across the UK. So including the four nations. And we had an advisory group who worked with us and we talked to these people about, and this advisory group was composed of practitioners, uh, people from the care sector, 
and of course a few academics and we talked to them and said okay and said including jenny and we said you know where should we go to look for these good practices or where people are practicing relational care and based on that we identified five settings we asked these people whether we could come in and observe what they were doing and so our postdocs went around did one day observational visits to five care settings which included three care homes one day care center and one supported um, sheltered housing complex and during these visits uh, it was a rapid ethnography so observing the environment inside and outside looking at observing people doing things both staff and residents and as well as interviews with few managers members of staff residents or day center users uh, volunteers and any family members so these were the kind of people we interviewed um mary would you like to come in with the outputs and you know the yeah, sure um well martin you've already alluded to our report um and we produced we produced a project report as well as a summary report and we also produced a relational care um toolkit for care providers to use to implement relational care and we launched those uh, at uh, an event at the House of Lords in May. Um, but also as part of the project, as well as those, those um, sort of practical resources, we have produced the first diagram of relational care that shows all the multidirectional relationships and the dynamics between the people that work in a care setting and their physical environment and the objects within it as well as with the wider community in the locality and we've also developed a definition of relational care there have been various attempts to define relational care um up to so far but we we managed to put a much more decisive definition of relational care forward um and we identified the critical components of relational care that we then developed into a model of relational care as well. Um, and those critical components are the physical environment um, of a care setting, the atmosphere, um, and we, we found that an atmosphere of respect, trust and inclusivity nurtures, that nurtures belonging and a purposeful focus um, on relationships too. So those three, the atmosphere, relationships and physical environment were all critical components of relational care. Um, so those are the, the, the key outputs we've had so far. Um, we're currently working on an open learn module um, that is for care providers and key stakeholders um, that is about relational care and the use of the toolkit as well. Thanks, Mara. Thanks both. And just to say for non-OU people watching this, Open Learn is the Open University's free learning platform, and we'll provide a link to that as well. Is that actually out yet, Mary? Is that being published? No, um, it should be available in March 2024. Right. Yeah, we're currently right. working on it, yeah. Okay, we'll put a link in to Open Learn and people can find that when it comes out. So the, just to say a bit more about the toolkit, who do you imagine that being for, Mary? It's for um, care providers and those um, working and uh, working in care settings. Um, so, for example, we have got um, 
a care, a care provider and who is now used, actually testing it out for us in one of their care homes. Um, so that is it's for the managers to actually in, introduce and work with staff in order to implement um, the use of relational care in, in different care settings. Yeah, and I think just to come in there, I think what we have done there is we have produced vignettes from the research we have carried out um, and situations, you know, where they look at the vignette together and then think through, you know, yeah. what's happening here in terms of care practice, yeah. what is being left out or what is good about this and how do you bring it or do you already do this in practice and or how do you make it work and if it cannot work then why it cannot work and what we have asked people uh, like Mary mentioned who's already using it is to then come back and tell us about you know how can we improve it or whether there are added elements that need to go into the toolkit so it's a it's like an active document I guess in some senses. And I suppose essentially it's also for, for staff development because even mm. Monique alluded to each vignette come, comes with a set of questions for staff mm. to sit and talk through and think about. Yes, and, and, and again, uh, the all of those questions and, and, and vignettes are in your report, aren't they? Um, so you can have a look at those. Um, and, and the model that you've both been talking about, it's very nice coloured table um multicolored table setting out those, those different elements that you were talking about mary i just want to, to emphasize or look at one of them in a bit more detail and um monique you've also you've talked already about the how your interest is in the use of place and space in in care and there is quite a lot of emphasis in the model of relational care that you present that you developed on the physical environment which i think people might find interesting could you explain monique what's distinctive about the use of space in relational care yeah so um when when we did our rapid review we did find uh, we did find a growing interest in use of space and uh, environment in relation to particularly people with dementia and you know the uh, the question there was how do these people continue to take part in daily life or maintain their relation to daily, daily life or to the life of the community. There was a lot of work. So we included it in our interviews to actually very specifically and purposefully look at those aspects. And it did come back in a big way in a number of different ways. And this relates to, you know, so the theoretical, the theoretical aspect guiding it is that we are always located in space and time. Uh, socially, physically, and temporally. And in, in health and human geography, place and space are not like backdrops and neither are they containers. You know, they are more active and people and place actually interact dynamically over time uh, to shape each other and also the well-being or the places become enabling and disabling, as I talked about earlier. Importantly, who we are, our sense of identity, our sense of belonging and attachment, all of these things are shaped by how we feel within place and how we feel about place. And there is a lot, anyway, the common perception of care settings is not a place where people generally want to be in. Um, 
So, but the important thing is, do when people do move out from their own home, uh, and we assume that everybody moves out uh, against their will, which is also something that has to be questioned. But anyway, if people do move out, then are people able to create a sense of place when they go from one place to another? And that means, you know, are you able to maintain continuities? of place more widely in terms of your relationships that you had already. So you could be family members visiting, could be your friends visiting. And can you also maintain the continuity of objects and the kind of daily life and routines that you had? And I think the idea is then, does design and the layout of facilities encourage that? Are we designing to facilitate people's need for privacy, for interaction, for connecting with nature and in ways that that recognizes interdependence, but also that in some places they might do things independently. Like, can I just walk out, step out of my um, uh, of the French windows into the garden? You know, like, or will I always need someone to take me the long way? So things like that. And we did find evidence for it in the form of how how spaces were organized. So there were spaces for places which had paid attention to it there were rooms which were left for just for very private you know smaller spaces for families to come and sit in or to actually have a conversation whereas the tv room was a separate room so you're not drowning out voices there was recognition and encouragement of so this is what we have called as one of our themes is caring about people's relationship with other things and places you know so when people bring in things to adorn their rooms uh, are they only just for adornment or are people able to use these things so there's a good vignette about a lady who's brought in a kettle and it's very important to be able to use it and make her own cup of tea so those are small examples of how it allows her to then talk about her relationship to this particular thing, but also how it makes her more independent. And she can also offer a cup of tea to anybody who comes into her room. Um, but there are also things like how uh, technology can be used uh, for people in the form of, you know, uh, to help build those relationships, um, as well as the open door policy uh, for the manager's room, which is both for the staff, but also for people to come in um, and, you know, that you are seen to be available and you are seen to be there. But equally, do staff have a room where they can just unwind? Uh, so those are the kind of things we were looking for. Uh, and we did find lovely examples of where people had even. So these are all negotiations, I guess, isn't it about whose home is it? Um, and we did find examples of where people had put out specific kind of flowers in the hallway or a chime in the garden so that they could also share it with others. Uh, but these are all negotiations which sort of happen within the care home uh, and, on, and should happen between the residents and staff. So that's really lovely. Want to, you know, thank, thank you. you no, I was, I was just going to build on that and ask Mary. Um, it's not a question I was going to ask, but I just feel we haven't really pulled it out enough. Um, so, Mary, if I went into um, a residential home where relational care had been operationalized or taken on board, how, how different would I notice the relationship between 
carers and and cared for between staff and residents what what would be different about i think you talked earlier about mutuality what what does that actually mean in practice do you think um well if you if you walked into a care home where relational care is practiced there'd be many many indicators um of the fact that it is in in practice um but you you and Monique's obviously spoken at length about the, the physical environment. I mean, there's the atmosphere as well, how welcoming it is. Um, Monique referred to the open door policy of the of, of the managers. Um, but in 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 terms of the relationships, the, the the as you say, the emphasis is very much on mutuality. But that is the relationships transcend and permeate the whole of the. Um, the care home setting so it would not only be between staff and residents um but also between the residents themselves um amongst the staff and between the care setting the family and the wider environment just to give you some examples of each of those um where we're talking at looking at relationships between staff and residents we found in relational care that staff undertake activities with rather than doing things for residents. And the residents also take an active role and are involved in decision making and planning in a care setting where relational care is in practice. And there's a feeling of mutual togetherness and reward and mourning. And we, we found that some of the um, care care assistants they enjoyed telling those they were caring for um about family weddings for example and they found it rewarding the interest that they got they got in that and then we we see um in relational care with regards to relationships between residents um there's opportunities for them to support each other and develop friendships um and mean meal times are protected um and valued as opportunities for conversation. It's not a rush job that people are allowed to actually be with each other and enjoy each other and develop those relationships. And then amongst staff, um, and, and that's including uh, staff and management, there's good communication systems that support effective practice and teamwork. There's trust and there's also flexibility um, operate, operated by management. Um, and that helps to reduce potential or actual conflict. And that in that flexibility, it's used also to, to support the work-life balance of those who um, mm. work in care homes. And last but not least, uh, staff in a care home where relational practice is, is, is evident, we found they feel respected and valued, and that empowers them and enables them to nurture and to nurture others such as those that they're caring for and then also critically um in re relational care we've talked about how the boundary between the care setting and um the environment is more much more porous than when relational care isn't isn't um practice we found that um family relationships and friendships um were all fostered, including in some cases, relationships with animals. People are allowed to keep their animals um, with them um, because of the significance and the meaning of, of mm. pets to, um, 
to, to those who lived in the, or, or used the care homes, care settings. Um, and care settings can be a focal point for communi communities. They come and use their grounds for uh, fates or parties or celebrating events like the Jubilee. Um, and um, the community also, the, the community can be accessed by people within the care setting. Like they're regularly taken out mm. or to have a cup of coffee in the local coffee coffee shop or to go to the library or whatever um and the, there's we found also in some of the really established the well, places where relational care was really established there were links with the community wider community in that several generations had worked at in the care home and people in in the care home actually knew the mother or the the sister of the person caring for them and we felt that that strengthens relationships hugely as well. That's really interesting. Thank you. I mean, it's it's a wonderful model, but I wonder, Mary, what you think needs to happen for this model of relational care to be taken up more widely. I mean, do you think it could be taken up more widely? And you know, what what would what would need to happen for it to be um, more common, more more widespread in the care in care settings? Do you think? Well, this is what we're currently working on as part of our Im impact work following the study. I mean, we have to remember that this is one fairly small study and we have identified different areas of research that need further research. So we do need more research. But having said that, we have, there are a lot of people using this already and there is we have found following our launch um in may there's also a lot of interest in adopting this model because of the positive effects on both those being cared for um those providing the care um and on staff retention and recruitment so um in order for it to be adopted we've it's got to be adopted by care providers and regulatory bodies such as the CQC, and we have had very positive um, contribute, very positive conversations with the CQC. Um, and the sorry, can you say what the CQC is? Sorry, I'm sorry. Yes, um, Monique, what does it stand for? <laughs> care Quality Care Quality Commission. Sorry. Thank you. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> no, sorry. My mind went blank. We just roll it off our tongues every time we speak about it. Um, yeah, so we have been having, um, we've been um, following up the contacts we made at the launch event, such as with the CQC. And we've been having uh, meetings with strategic bodies uh, like the Department of Health and Social Care, um, the International Longevity I ILC, um, in, in, sorry, International Longevity Centre in the UK. Um, we're looking at holding um, an, a, an event with them in the in the year. We've made various submissions to a joint task force, such as that on housing and older people. Um, and we've been invited to join an all party all party parliamentary group on housing and older people. Um, we've done a lot in terms of dissemination to get to get relational care out there more. We've done a lot of, um, well, we've sent our documents to various key bodies and stakeholders, as well as done um, media cover coverage and presentations. 
Um, and as I, I mentioned, um, the, the, the critical, how critical doing more research is we're in conversation with several different um, universities and bodies about extending the research um, the, the, the research base and and strengthening the relational care the body of research about relational care um, and again also a part of implementing this and, and um, is is the toolkit testing which is happening um, and we shall develop the toolkit even further um, as a result of the feedback we get so there's there's various it's not an easy answer to that question, Martin. There's there's various different strands to getting mm. this out there and to getting it adopted. And it is a it's um it's a marathon rather than a sprint. Um, but it's certainly started off very well with all the work and the interest we've had and the progress we've made so far. Thanks, Mary. Um, and Monique, do you think the model is generalizable beyond residential work with older people i know that's your particular interest but can you see relational care as being relevant to other kinds of care settings and other kinds of um other groups of people yes uh, absolutely i think we are seeing the relation we are seeing the concept of relational care as an overarching concept and because it is all about recognizing acknowledging and considering the well-being of everybody involved in that in coming together to produce and deliver and receive that care we think it can be potentially adopted across social care so we are currently or we have been approached actually by people working in domiciliary care as to how do we uh, make it applicable or how do we work around that and then with different groups of people I think we were having a conversation the other day in one of the carers seminar about uh, people with learning disabilities and how some of the things that are coming out of our study are equally applicable to their um, situations but but as I say it will need it will need more work to kind of extend its use outside of where we have done it. Uh, but definitely there's a potential because care is care is a central thing in, in our lives and it doesn't disappear whatever setting you are in or whoever you are. Thanks. Now you've, you've both already answered um, my next question, I think, which was about the next steps for the projects and dissemination and so on. But I just wonder about personally, uh, if you could just tell me, are, you, are, are either of you working on other things at the moment or moving on to other projects? I'd just be interested to hear what you're, you're also working on, Mary, for example. I'm, well, I'm working on a, a number of things. I'm still involved in a project on carers and support for carers, um, older carers of people with learning difficulties. Um, and I'm involved in a project um, about uh, learning journeys for for, for, for carers um, using the uh, Open Universities um, Open Learn um, resources. Um, so the, there's, uh, um, th those are the kind of key areas I'm actually researching, but I'm also very involved um, in, in that policy, um, the policy forums to, um, in order to, to, to be able to use my, um, the expertise I've gained to actually try and affect practice and and to use it to put it into good it to put the knowledge we've got mm. into good practice. Thanks, Mary. 
And Monique, what's what else are you working on, or what what's next for you? Uh, so we are continuing to sort of progress this strand of work and uh, feeling our way through where is where are our how can we make the maximum influence, or as you asked, you know what what needs to change. Uh, but other than that, I am leading on a. a a project which is looking at, which is about again more my area in, in senses of place and well-being is, but looking particularly at home housing and neighbourhoods for uh, old people from the Bangladeshi community in East London, um, and actually, yeah, nobody's ever. Hmm. We have a lot of headline data about how health and housing deprived that community is, but there is uh, no. We haven't yet gone and spoken to them about, you know, what is what are their needs and aspirations or preferences regarding how and where they want to live and with whom. And so the project that I'm currently working on, um, uh, funded by the Dunhill Medical Trust, is looking at uh, this area. And and also it's uh, the new the newer thing for me there is that it's a very co-produced project where we are already working uh, with an external organization, Housing Association, who are co-funded uh, as a partner. Uh, and that's a whole new uh, area requiring different kind of energy and enthusiasm to work collaboratively. Um, but yeah, that's that's me. We could do a whole other podcast on co-production, couldn't we, as a... I'm sure, yes, yeah. definitely. I'll be willing to come along to that. <laughs> to have you back. Thank you both very much for that. I mean, finally, can I ask you both, a more personal question. I mean, this podcast is interested in exploring ideas and theories of care. And you've already mentioned one name, Monique. You mentioned Doreen Massey as being of influence on you. Just wanted to ask you both if there are if there are any particular theories of care or writers on care or even a particular book that you could recommend that's been important in your own formation as an academic working on care issues. So maybe go to Mary first. Yeah. Um this is a difficult question because there's so many theories of care around um, that I don't think there's one particular theory that has influenced me. Um, but the most important thing to me is, and what I've learned, is that working in this area is making research and evidence easily accessible to those who need it so that it can be used. Um, so getting it out there so knowledge can be used by key stakeholders and practitioners in the care field. And this is what I find so particularly rewarding about this project in that relational care to me is, is the next theory within care practice. And I've, it's been it's fascinating and a privilege to be part of actually getting it to those who need it and talking to them about it and and spreading the word and affecting almost like a, a paradigm shift. Although we're on a continuum and a lot of people are, as we said, a lot of people are using relational care often without knowing it. So I have to say, in this is probably the most one of the most exciting projects I've been involved in in my career because it's the development of a new concept and, and the strengthening of, an, of, a, of a new concept. Thanks, Mary. 
Monique, apart from Dorian Massey in human geography, what what would be the key influences for you? I wish I I had the luxury of reading books. I'm losing it by the day. (laughs) So that's one. But there is someone has suggested uh, to me because we talk about the work we are currently doing with colleagues and someone has suggested a book which I intend to read and it's a new one by Kathleen Lynch and it's on care and capitalism. And I think what she's arguing for is something around what we're talking here today is about how we need to move from capitalism-centric values to care-centric values. Um, but I haven't read it. But that, yeah, so that is what I is on my reading list. Fascinating. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm hoping that in later conversations we'll get some people on talking about care ethics and feminist care ethics. And I think that would resonate with some of the things you, you just said. Well, thank you both very much. Uh, It's been a fascinating and, for me, a really informative conversation. It's been a pleasure talking with you. So I'd like to wish you all the best in your your future work. Thank you both. Thank you. Thank you for having us here today. Yeah, a pleasure. That's all for this episode of Careful Thinking. So you can find full details of the episode in the show notes below. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to offer feedback on this episode or suggest a topic or a guest for a future episode, you can send an email to carefulthinkingpodcast at gmail.com. See you next time.